I'm Program Director John Pittman. Corazon is the second album of the highly decorated American cellist John Henry Crawford. As with his debut last year, Dialogo, he joins forces again with pianist Victor Santiago Asuncion and is also joined on three tracks on the new recording by the guitarist Gigi. And they're performing a survey of Latin American music that includes works by Leo Brower, Eto Villalobos, Astor Piazzolla, and many others. John Henry Crawford is joining me for this conversation about Corazon. It's great to talk to you again. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's great to be back, and I appreciate your inviting me back. Um, it's, it's definitely a different, uh, it's a change up from the last project, and one that has been a lot of fun for me, a very gratifying and very satisfying. Uh, and like you said, is based kind of off my, off of some of my experiences in recent years, but also throughout my life, um, having visited a number of times uh, South America and Central America for concerts and uh, to visit brothers who live there and whatnot. So. so tell me a little bit about visiting brothers. So you have some family there? Yes. So actually, the first time I ever went out of the country was to Dominic- the Dominican Republic, to um, first to Santo Domingo, and then after that to a little town uh, outside of Barahona, called Los Blancos, where my brother was stationed in the Peace Corps, my oldest brother. And he worked there for two years, organizing a coffee cooperative, and also worked in agriculture uh, with avocado trees, and mostly with coffee. But uh, he was kind of a liaison in organizing a a coffee cooperative that's still functioning, um, which is, is great. And so my first experience there, I think I was probably, I was probably eight or nine or something like that. And so I brought a Spanish dictionary trying to piece together words. And um, so that was kind of my first exposure to the culture, uh, a culture outside of the United States and to a language outside of the United States. But not too long after that, I had another brother who moved to Argentina after college and lived in Buenos Aires for six years. And we went and visited him there later on. And I got to have exposure to that. And around that same time, while I was at the Curtis Institute, I had the, the good fortune to be invited on a tour with some of the, the professors at Curtis to do a South American tour. And we went to um, Costa Rica, uh, San Jose, to play a concert, and then to Sao Paulo uh, for a concert and some, some teaching. And then we ended our tour in Morelia, Mexico, in Michoacan, um, to teach and play a concert. And so I, I had this kind of piecemeal exposure to, to Latin America that came in, in, in chunks rather than all at once. But it was really fun for me because some of the pieces we played are, are some of the pieces that's, that, are, that are in this album. For instance, the, the Oblivion. We did a, a, an arrangement of that for violin, cello, and guitar with Jason Vio and Suvin Kim. And uh, so this is a little bit of a reflection of my my life experiences with uh, Latin America and performing there and learning about the culture and whatnot. So your program on your disc covers uh, and includes several several different countries and uh, some different eras, although primarily we're talking about early 20th century, two contemporary composers or fairly contemporary composers. Yes. Um, and... A big piece that's on the disc is Le Grand Tango by Astor Piazzolla. It's not the only Piazzolla piece. You mentioned Oblivion. Um, but Le Grand Tango, that to me is really, it, it's not like a, a little 
pop piece, if you will. It, it's a quite involved and, and sometimes kind of entangled and complex piece. Just a, It's a little more edgy, I think. It is. It really is. It's interesting because actually, so I, I the first time I played this piece was about 10 or 12 years ago with, with Victor Santiago Asuncion, who's also uh, featured on this album, uh, who's been a wonderful musical partner. Um, and... Uh, that was the first piece we ever played together, actually. So it's it was this is a little bit of a of a of a tribute or ode to that uh, as well. But the the grand the le grand tango, which it's an interesting title as well because it's actually French le grand tango. But apparently, what happened was Piazzolla published it in France first, and I think that's where the the name came from. That's so the story goes. But in 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 our rehearsing, we we refer to it as el grand tango, <laughs> just to be to be more. You know, accurate with the Spanish, <laughs> but um, it's it really is an edgy piece, and the way that it's sectioned, you know, it, it starts off in this dance-like, you know, very tango, very strict rhythmic tempo, and then kind of evolves into something that's more languid, more free in this slow middle section before returning to the very strict tango, uh, almost march-like tempo. But it was written for. Mrslav Rostropovich and and I I mean I know Rostropovich often would have input into the pieces that he commissioned or or that were written for him as with Shostakovich concerto or Prokofiev Symphonia Concertant um, and so some of these gestures like there there are moments where the cello kind of does a little a little riff up a little sort of point this kind of glissando really quickly up the fingerboard that sounds kind of like a different instrument maybe like the banda neon that Piazzolla played so it's interesting how he incorporates these sort of other instrument sounds in, into this piece. But it, it really does. It's, it, it catches the attention right from the first note, and that's what I love about the piece. And it, it's, it is a large work. It's, it's about 10 or 11 minutes. So it's not one of these quick things that is just, um, it's not a short piece. Uh, it really is a grand tango, which I love. And Egberto Gismonti, um, the only name I don't recognize out of, out of all of these. So... Is there anything you can tell me? I mean, he's still living, right? Born 1947, and that's yeah. a piece where you include it's it's not uh, it's not just you and uh, and Victor, uh, your pianist, but Gigi, guitarist, joining you on that. Yes. So all of the pieces are are, with the exception of the Oblivion, are duets. Um, so the Oblivion, uh, which I'll get into later, is actually I'm the only person playing on that, but. Um, there are three pieces with guitar and cello, and those are the, the opening track, the Cancion de Cuna by Leo Brower. And it was originally a guitar piece, but um, we basically just divvied up the score, and I'm playing the, 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 the main line, and Gigi is playing um, all of the, the harmonies and the rhythmic components that make the piece fill, filled out as what it, what it is. Uh, and then the Estrita, which is Gigi's arrangement of the, of the, the Yasha Heifetz arrangement. And then Finally, the Agua e Vino by Gismonti, uh, which is, I don't want to pick a favorite, but it, it's, one of, it's one of my favorite compositions just because of how it, its arc and also of how incredibly deep and, and, and sad it, it is at times. It's, it's, it's so melancholy and has this kind of bittersweet element to it. Um, and I think it's, it's terrific. And, and I think the idea, you know, Agua e Vino, it is this kind of push and pull between water and wine and these two contrasting maybe characters like the cello and and the guitar 
or two contrasting moods. So um, the rest of the pieces, however, are piano and cello. And then the Oblivion is actually an arrangement that I made for 14 cellos. However, they're all stacked one upon the, on the other. So I'm playing every part, and we, we recorded each line individually and, and stacked them. Wow. How many, are, how many cello parts are in unison or, or duplicating lines? So there are, there's a, a, a single bass line, which is the pizzicato, and I actually did score a tour for that. So to match the double bass range, I had to tune down the, the bottom string to, I believe, a low G or, or maybe even lower. So a fourth or, or even a fifth below what, it's, what the string normally is. And that was a lot of fun, but of course you have to make some adjustments fingering-wise. It takes a little bit to get used to. But um, for the rest of the parts, it was basically string quartet. So there were there was a, a first violin, a second violin, viola, cello, and we doubled, we did tripled up on each line. So it's basically twelve-person cello choir, and then double bass, and then the solo line, which is sort of imitating the accord the the banda neon or the accordion. Wow. That that's that reminds me a little bit of uh, you know like we've seen a lot of uh, YouTube videos where single singers will you'll see them all on the screen you know so or maybe we'll see twelve of you doing uh, all the the oblivion parts. Oblivion yes, parts. that's that's a good idea. Yeah, kind of acapella style where you have all these different heads. Yep. <laughs> I'm speaking with John Henry Crawford, cellist, and with his second and newest CD called Corazon, the music of Latin America, here at All Classical Portland. Now, the Ponce, again, I know the composer. I've been trying to explore more of his music beyond Estrellita, which I love, and Por Timi Corazon, those beautiful songs. I don't think a lot of people know that they are actually songs. I mean, there's words to them. And you, you include words in the program, right? So people know what the words are. There, there are words to the songs, and, and, uh, and as well with the Guastavino, the Pampa Mapa. It's also originally a, a, a cancion. And so it does help in interpreting the piece, I believe, to, to know, to, just to have the words in front of you so that you, you can decide on a consonant or a vowel for how you want to articulate a note, how you want to start a note. And... It's, uh, it's, it's getting quite into the details, but I think that it's necessary when you're making a recording a piece and performing a piece that you, know, you not only want to honor the composer's intent with the pitch and the timing and the notes and the dynamics and all the other markings, but also the words and make it as much of, a, of, a, of, a, of an imitation of the human voice as possible. And you have, you have been praised by critics for your singing line. Your, your singing tone. Oh, <laughs> I appreciate that.
Uh, now, I'm, I'll get back to the Sonata in a second, but uh, my my brain goes off in tangents. I'm thinking about how when you, we talked last year about Dialogo, you have that fantastic cello with that unbelievable, no, I mean not unbelievable, but that extraordinary story uh, that's attached to it, that history that's attached to it. Are you playing your grandfather's cello on this recording as well? Yes, yes. Every track is, is with that cello, including all of the Oblivion uh, lines. You know, I, I actually thought about even having a different instrument for the Oblivion so that, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a fear that if you record a dozen different lines or, or 14 different lines with the same instrument, that you have a kind of overly monotonous or overly homogenous sound that, that where everything is, is too much you know, the same, and there's not a kind of blending. Um, and so I originally thought of having a second cello, but after some experimentation, we realized that uh, the producer and I, Adam Abe's house, uh, realized that, you know, it was, it really just sounded great to have the one sort of unified cello sound. And there's enough variation within each, each line that I record that um, it's not overly, overly unified to where you have issues with with sounding too too much the same person but it, it would be interesting even to hear i mean this is this is literally an impossible endeavor but if you were to go to a live concert hearing 12 cellists on the same cello you know that that'll never happen because we we don't have a, a, a we'll never have a perfect copy of of each instrument but um i guess a recording a controlled recording environment is the the closest we can get but um it, it, this cello, is, I'm very lucky to have it, and as you said, it's it's a it's a it's a fascinating story. There's actually, uh, I think, since we talked, there's an article that came out in the Strad that I, I wrote called "If My Cello Could Talk," and it it's it details the entire story of my my grandfather escaping Austria, leaving before Kristallnacht, and you know buying a he had to buy a, a travel a Nazi travel passport on the black market and take a train through Germany, and then took a cargo boat from Lithuania to to Denmark and then had to go back through France to pick up the cello that he had smuggled into to Switzerland. Um, so I'm, I'm very lucky to have it and it's it's of course special to, to my family and, and to me um, and I feel like a part of my grandfather uh, and his legacy kind of lives on through through the instrument. And the cello continues its travels too. Yes, um, you must have taken it to South America, right? Or or did you not want to do that? <laughs> I, I did take it. I took it for when I competed in in twenty nineteen to for the um, the Carlos Prieto competition, which was again kind of a catalyst for this this album. It was another experience in actually in Morelia, Mexico, where I had first gone ten years prior or, or eight years prior for for the South American tour with Curtis. Um, but I, I have taken it, it has been to Brazil, to Costa Rica, and to Mexico, in addition to the, to the it's European in, 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 uh, travels. <laughs> Thank you. 
I started to talk about the Ponce Sonata, which you said is central to your disc. I mean, it takes up a big, big part of it. Uh, we need to talk about that piece, partly because, as I said, I'm not familiar with this work. I don't know how I overlooked it, and we, you know, we have a library here. So the Ponce <laughs> Cello Sonata, who was it written for? About when was it written? And, uh, and then we'll get into the character of the piece. Sure. Uh, so it was written for an Uruguayan cellist. As far as the piece goes, you know, Ponce was really special in terms of his compositional style because he was quite advanced in his his style of you know, tonality versus atonality. He, he incorporated quite a bit of chromaticism in his music. And so he was, I would say, kind of on the cutting edge, especially in Mexico for, for a composer of his time. And this piece, I, th I think what's unique about him is that he has this incredible way of blending these advanced compositional techniques of the classical era that we find, especially in the early uh, 20th century and, and moving forward, with this Mexican folklore style. You know, he, he, he sort of based, his foundation was based in, in Mexican traditional songs. And it, it sort of makes me think back to composers like in the last album, Ligeti and Zoltan Kodai, um, both, you know, who, who really took pages out of uh, folk music from their own countries and incorporated it into their own compositional style so as to elevate not only their own music, but also to bring, bring forward to, to more, uh, to, to greater audiences, these kind of folk tunes that maybe weren't written in stone or, or maybe hadn't been set to uh, a formal instrumentation like piano and voice or piano and cello. So that's what I, I think is really special about Ponce's music, um, particularly pertaining to those two popular Mexican songs. Um, but what I love about the Sonata is prior to the competition and after which we decided we would do an all Latin American album, prior to that I hadn't I hadn't wasn't really aware of the Ponce Sonata and was only really aware of the Estreita and um, that was basically it. And what what struck me immediately when I started learning this piece was how both how different it was from the Estreita in terms of its sort of you know the the first movement is Allegro Salvaggio, which is Allegro wild basically. It it, it means wild or or kind of you know in a wild nature or, or something that's very untamed. But in the second theme, within a minute or so of this this kind of wild rhapsodic nature that we hear with this very uh, dance-like rhythms in the piano, we get something that is much more akin to Estreita. It's this very soaring, um, kind of reaching, yearning melody in the cello, which is, it, it's a leap of a fifth. Da -da, ya -da -da. You know, and so it's it's these perfect intervals that, that are so iconic, I think, when they begin melodies. And... Um, from that moment, from just reading the first page, I knew that the sonata was going to be really interesting to, to learn and study. And um, if one were to listen also to the last movement, it's also very interesting because it starts off with this very much, it, it's two kind of bum, 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 bum in the, in the piano. And then it starts this kind of dance. And it, it just kind of reminds me of some kind of dance that you that you might find it's, it's a little bit of a throwback to to an earlier uh, period in history but that's what makes this piece so unique to me is 
the incorporation of Mexican style, the things that were indigenous to, to Mexico, and incorporating, incorporating that with his you know, chromaticism, at times even, perhaps even atonality. Looking forward to hearing the whole, the whole piece from start to finish and sharing it with our listeners on the air as well. Well, uh, John Henry Crawford, thank you so much for sharing all the stories and the background of these pieces of your new disc, Corazon. Looking very much forward to uh, sharing a conversation with our listeners and also uh, the music, of course. Uh, can't wait to populate it into our playlist in the next few weeks so the folks can start well, enjoying you. it. Thank you very much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to see you again, pleasure to speak with you again, and uh, yeah, appreciate your having me. Thank you.